0: Episode 26. Welcome back, everybody. Hope all is well. This week we have Chris Raymer, somebody well-known in the recovery community. We are thrilled to have Chris on uh, to provide his perspective as a 33-year Uh, recovered addict and alcoholic Uh, super special guest today Uh, Chris has a twin brother named Myers they've recovered together they have a really interesting story that they tell they were raised in the hill country of Texas Uh, Chris talks about his first drink in high school his dreams of being a chef uh, and then ultimately um, falling downward um, fading out in his addiction Um, He talks about his uh, trajectory upward, his first experience with the big book after um, years and years of really trying to recover, Um, and then his experiences with helping people since he's been sober. Uh, It's fascinating. He's helped so many people to really find their own recovery um, and is extremely passionate, as you'll hear, about um, the way to do that, um, his own experiences, what he's seen year over year in people coming in and out of treatment. Um, He's currently back at La Hacienda, which is where Chris ended up in Texas. For those uh, who didn't know that, I know we've talked about that in the past, but La Hacienda is an incredible facility um, where Chris recovered, um, and so Chris Raymer is back there um, after years, happy to be home, as he explains, um, and we go into just, you know, his day-to-day, um, his his role in the recovery community, um, the biggest challenges he has in helping people with diluted messages and, and some of the stuff that's out there. Um, the fact that stigma still exists, unfortunately, which again, we've said is a huge part of why we're doing this podcast, um, and ultimately we just talk about how we can all be better together. We've, we've brought this up before. We're happy to continue that conversation, um, and please know uh, we are still here. We're here to help. Um, Chris Raymer is here to help. Chris Barry is here to help. I'm here to help. You'll hear that message uh, resonate throughout the episode. Uh, we're so thrilled that you're here. Chris Raymer. We cannot thank you enough for joining. I think I say that 10 times in the episode, but honestly, a huge honor from us. I know you have a a great number of people out there in the world that love to follow you and hear from you. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Episode 26. Everybody sit back and enjoy. Hello. 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 Have Chris one...
1: Raymer in here?
0: He's here. Can he hear us?
1: Uh, please. Oh. Is that him? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, all right so this is episode 26 i have to um keep myself in check here because we have two chrises we're working with here but um chris raymer welcome to faded podcast we're very excited to have you
2: well i appreciate that y'all are awful nice to ask
0: you bet um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change up the intro here for a minute. Chris Berry, I would love for you to introduce Chris because uh, he he plays a pretty significant role in your story. And and I remember um, hearing about Chris R so many years ago. So if you would do the honor of introducing your friend Chris here, that would be wonderful.
1: Yeah. So kind of a crazy story, and and I realized we were on a meeting. Chris is Chris is you know, uh, sponsors many people. I sponsor a bunch of people and and he sponsors me and a bunch of different men. And I was actually, um, on a, on a zoom call with him and a bunch of people that are, are in this deal, kind of in our lineage together in our sponsorship family together. And it was kind of amazing to hear everyone talk because I think there was like 30 to 40 people on there and they all pretty much had the same story, um, in terms of how they kind of got introduced to this way of living and and <clears throat> I remember when I was 18 years old or 19 years old I met Reed Martin I've talked about him on a few episodes and he'll eventually come on and <clears throat> Reed knew that I was struggling with alcoholism and addiction and you know I had reached out for help and he introduced himself as a recovered alcoholic to me and and told me that you know uh, he had found freedom from working through you know the 12step program and and uh he had been relieved of this hopeless state of mind and body or recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. And it was kind of the opposite from what everyone else was telling me. Everyone else was kind of telling me like, you're gonna struggle for the first few years that you that you go through this deal and you know, it's gonna be kind of painful <laughs> and you need to go through this slowly and, and make sure you don't help anyone in your first couple of years or your first year because <laughs> you need to work on yourself, you know. And <laughs> and I I uh Reed actually told me because I kept telling Reed, Hey, listen, all these people are telling me the exact opposite of what you've told me. And what you're telling me has a really heavy message that sounds very appealing to me. But for some reason, everyone else is telling me the opposite, except you, this one person. And he said, listen, go, go listen to some speaker tapes on this website. Listen to Myers are, and and Chris are, and just tell me how you feel and i remember listening to one of chris's speaker tapes um god i don't know it was from i don't remember which year it was from like 2004 or something
0: and i remember listening to it
1: i was in greensboro yeah and i just remember listening to it and being like oh my gosh this guy he's got it like (laughs) he's got it and he's saying the same stuff that reed is saying and he made me want to get through the 12 steps quickly and help other people because he painted a picture where i could understand that i'd no longer had to live sick and i could live well and a byproduct of that would be that i get to stay sober as well but the the beauty of it is that i get to be well and i ended up not getting um not getting it that time and and had a, a sponsor taking me through the work who was like, look, we're going to go through a step every month for the next 12 months and same old story. And I eventually went to La Hacienda in the Hill country. And the guy who was breaking down the, the first step on the board actually was, was, uh, filling in the shoes of, of Chris. Cause he had worked there for so long. And I was like, Oh my gosh, man, this is my path. This is my journey. Like I can't believe this is happening. So fast forward to, you know, almost 10 years later, um, I've developed a great relationship with with Chris. He's helped me and and so many people and and I get to now pass on that message that I was hearing when I was only nineteen and struggling and and um you know i'm I'm super grateful for for um Chris as well as everyone else has been a part of my journey personally so here he is
0: <laughs> so awesome, so awesome and chris again i th- it was important um for us to to give that backstory we've talked about you before um in past episodes and just that crazy awesome connection um, no coincidences here um, and so i would love to know a bit more about your backstory just kind of uh, how you got into um recovery in this world and how you've continued just for the audience listening just a little bit more about you and in earlier days if you don't mind
2: absolutely absolutely guys i sure appreciate y'all y'all uh, asking me to to come on, and uh, Chris is one of my all-time faves, and so that, that makes it good. I uh, I was one of, part of my story, guys, and I live down here in Ingram, Texas. I just need to mention that we're kind of like Central Texas down here, and uh, uh, near the facility where I work, and, and uh, kind of nice right out here on the Guadalupe River, and I was raised down here in the hill country, um, and uh, I took my first drink in high school down here, and uh 1971 and and uh, was off to the races I Was going to be a professional chef but anyway ended up in houston and making a bunch of geographics and just you know young and and, and 100 miles an hour and uh, trying to um, I don't know just get by you know for long periods of time the alcohol and the, and the other substances were, were not a real big problem uh, yeah, I have uh, alcoholism in my family and uh, I, I know where I get it genetically and uh, but it wasn't causing me a whole lot of trouble. But I'm, I'm suffering from this thing called untreated alcoholism, which basically boils down to uh, when you drink long enough, you, you get to a place that where you, you can't be happy when you're doing it. You can't be happy when you're not doing it. It's, uh, it's, it's nasty. And um, mm. for a real alcoholic, you know, the folks that listen to those drug addicts, they will understand exactly what I'm talking about. So a lot of the people out there, I'm sure that are listening to this, believe that if, if the alcoholic addict will just stop drinking or drugging, everything will be okay. The problem is, I guess, on the outside everything looks better, but on the inside we start to disintegrate. I mean, it gets it gets nasty uh, pretty quick for some of us. And depression was kicking my butt. I'm seeing doctors, and this is the early '80s, and and I've added some other outside issues that we talked about in in some of the fellowships. And and uh, I'm you know I'm I'm on all kinds of medications from doctors trying to help me get well and through hook and crook, I, I ended up uh, going to 12 uh, step fellowships in the uh, early 80s trying to save a marriage and, uh, and I think I mean, I was just miserable. On top of it, I, I was not enjoying what I was doing. And I, I couldn't, I knew I couldn't sustain it and continue to work and not end up in trouble. So you know, it was, It was. Uh, you know, I was excited about the process. But I ended up in this part of my story that gets kind of controversial for some folks, because it sounds like I'm taking a shot, but I'm not I, I, I um, Ended up up in, in an area of Texas where meetings I was going to, we didn't uh, talk anything much about the steps. We spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the problems and, and other things in, in meetings that we do. And and there's nothing wrong with that fellowship, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, but you know, I'm a little young guy trying to stop drinking, and sitting in a meeting is not going to fix that for me. And um, I, I I know. People get crazy about that. Meetings are not the catch-all. Meetings are important because I've got to have a fellowship. But anyway, I'm sitting in the meetings and I can't get sober. Six years later, I tried to commit suicide. I can't pick I can't get any sobriety under my belt, and I, I um, aborted that attempt. And um, November thirteenth, as a Friday the thirteenth, is still my favorite number. Patty and mm-hmm. I, when we go to the airports, we look for parking spots, and I'm number thirteen. So it's it's, it's lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up going we ended up going uh, i made a promise that I, I i aborted that attempt and i ended up going to this, this meeting i'd never been to before and, and you know walked in the back door and a bunch of wonderful people like always they're the finest people on earth in these 12-step fellowships So they encouraged me to come in and and uh, hook and crook, i stayed and the uh, chairperson went around and we started talking about the solution they started talking about the miracles that had happened as a result of working the steps i would spent seven years up in North Texas, listening to people try to scare me into recovery. You know, yeah. talking about their drunk driving charges and all this other crazy stuff. And guys, I mean, I'm, I'm, that stuff's not happening to me at the time. And and I, I, I'm, you know, this idea that we can scare an alcoholic or an addict into recovery is ridiculous. It won't work. You might scare them into treatment, but you're not gonna. That's not gonna stop them from drinking. Uh, we've lost the the ability to to choose whether we're gonna do this or not. What I need to do is and do some work so I can have this thing called a spiritual experience but everybody's tiptoeing around God in those meetings nobody wants to talk about that and the scenes. and uh anyway I, I'm not staying sober I, I go into this meeting and they start pulling me with a vision and these two old guys got me out to the meeting and they opened the big book first time anybody had ever done that they opened the big book and they showed me in those pages what it was to be an alcoholic they showed me the symptoms of untreated alcoholism and drug addiction and uh the physical craving in the middle of session. And uh, I I understood that night going home for the first time that I, um, I was an alcoholic. I was a real McCoy. And uh, I'm on all these medications, guys. It turned out I didn't need those uh, all those medications. Um, once I got sober and uh, started to have this thing called a spiritual experience, I uh, I was able to get off a lot of those medications and uh, actually all of those medications at the time. And I was, I was pretty... Uh, uh, Pretty amazed. It's just like what Chris was saying in in certain parts of the country, you know, you got people, well, the finest people on earth, well meaning. Again, I'm not going to take a shot at anybody, guys. If it's working, keep doing it. But a lot of people just, again, they want to focus on the idea of going to a bunch of meetings, but they don't ever talk about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, any of the other 12 step literature that talks specifically about working the steps. This is not a self help program. Never has been, never will be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a spiritual program of action. And uh, when I do certain things in you know, the 12 steps, I have this this little thing called a spiritual experience, and that obsession to use uh, drink or drug goes away. And uh, I didn't think that was going to happen, any more than a man in the moon, but uh, it did. These guys, I'm two weeks in, and I'm working on my, I got a completed fourth step, and I'm, I'm sitting on the tar got in my truck, and it dawns on me that the obsession to use is lifted. And mm. uh, guys, I recovered, and that was God, 33 years ago. And um, amazing. Yeah, it just, it's been it's been a, a pretty fine line, but I guess I really owe those people in that group where I got sober. You know, and one of my pet peeves in, in all of the fellowships is we assume, if you can follow me on this one, we assume that the newcomer is going to know the questions to ask. We get a little newcomer coming in, maybe from a treatment center or maybe just off the street. And we assume that they know how we work and how we operate. The truth is, I sat in in, uh, in those fellowships in those rooms groups for, for all those years, and didn't understand how this thing worked. I'm, you know, you teach what you're taught, and a lot of well-meaning people just, you know, just keep coming back. Everything's going to be okay. And it's like, I, they, nobody was trying to hurt me, but I'm a guy that, unless I have that spiritual experience, I am not going. I'm the real McCoy. I, um, Bill Wilson, in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, talks about modern drinkers, hard drinkers, but what about the real alcoholic? And it just so happens that I'm a real alcoholic mm. and I'm going to need a real solution, which is that spiritual experience. And uh, I'll say this and be quiet for a second. The, the, there's a letter in 1942 that Bill Wilson wrote, um, and it, there's an excerpt from that letter. It says, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program i've i've got stickers we we we, we sell it on little recovery club and, and it, it's got that on there it's a big poster in our in our clubhouse that has that has that written on there because golly that that just sets everything in motion right there if we understand that our responsibility for that little new guy coming through the door is to teach him what this whole thing is about not just getting to come to 90 meetings in 90 days come and, and, and join us in this on this path with us uh, get in the trench and help us carry that message to others, uh, we'd have a lot more people staying sober, I think, my opinion.
0: Absolutely. I'm on
1: the edge of my seat.
0: <laughs> well, it's, you know, and Chris Barry. I mean, I remember you telling me the same thing. It's kind of like what you do know is that you're miserable, right? And And you'd love to stop doing drugs. Maybe you're not ready, but like, you're right. Chris Raymer, like you only know what you know coming into any life situation, let alone you're trying to tackle something that you don't necessarily understand yet, or you haven't been presented the right way. And you're walking into this scenario and you're right. Maybe you have no idea what to ask, right? And, and it's, I'm sure it's intimidating and it's something you're not familiar with. So I don't know that we've really talked about that before. And, and I love hearing your perspective on that, that it's really, you know, for, for you guys who have, Who have recovered and and you're you're continuing to help people left and right it's it's a pretty big responsibility to make sure you're adequately presenting the right information so that they have the chance to get better right
2: Mm -hmm. if bill wilson when he wrote the book the 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 first guy that that helped put that thing together in, in 1939 when it was published you know they worked their butts off, I mean they were spent years on this manuscript trying to figure out what was the best thing to do, because Bill could already see, historically, Bill could see that this word of mouth thing wasn't going to work, you know it's like everybody was changing a little bit, and it was doing a little bit different over here, and anyway, they started seeing what would actually work, and then they put it together in this book, and so it's amazing to me, I'm, I'm seven years and I, not, I don't even own a big book, it's I don't know what it is because I hear people refer to it, but there are no books in in the meetings so where I'm 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 hanging out. We're we're just telling our stories and talking about our problems and and and, it, and that's like I said that's okay for some people. They seem to be able to to flourish in that, but but the. Uh, oh gosh it just drives me crazy I listen to people all the time <laughs> talk I've, I've been I've been to they I watch them come into treatment guys I watch them come in all the time they are sitting down there in the detox unit with, with vanilla pudding all over their face trying to eat you know, and just like, you know <laughs> they, they, about the time the last Ativan kicks out and then they go oh my gosh they look around they realize that we're a 12-step place and they go oh man I, this is not going to work says, I it doesn't it, work yeah it doesn't work. Yep. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times, and there's some great articles out there that talk about it. And it's just like I said, buddy, but you talk to them, and you find that they did the exact same thing I did. They went to a bunch of meetings, but there's no place in the big book that says if you go to a bunch of meetings, you'll stay sober. Doesn't even imply it. Not once.
1: As a, as a matter of fact, fact we've
2: we got to get a fellowship around us and go and and work the yep. steps, and then go help somebody.
1: Yep. And it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from alcoholism as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail and it and it re it it says that over and over and over again, and for some reason, through time, it's been kind of changed through people's perspectives and and I was literally told by a man. And Chris, it's funny that you're saying, like, look, I'm not knocking other people because we say it every episode. It's like, look, I am not saying that someone else did anything wrong to me or or that anything is anyone else's fault necessarily because that's what they were taught and it was working for them. But I had a guy look at me and say, I, I said, Hey, I went to a detox with this guy Reed and spoke to a bunch of people in detox. And when I left, I felt absolutely amazing. This was the second time I tried to get sober. And he said, yeah, that's great. But you really need to wait about 12 months before you can help anybody else. And I remember just feeling devastated because I was like, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a real McCoy as well. I'm a real alcoholic and a real drug addict. And, and I do not have the power of choice, whether I'm going to drink or not, or use or not. And when I went and helped somebody else for the first time, when it came to recovery, even when I hadn't been through the, the step work, something happened to me where the feeling was electric. The feeling was, Something that I had not felt since I had an effect produced by drugs or alcohol, and you know someone literally said you you are not allowed to do that, you can't do that, and the whole program is based around that exact principle of of helping other people,
2: yeah, yeah, it's like buying a ten thousand dollar Italian racing bike bicycle I'm a big cyclist, you know buying a big old expensive Italian bike and not riding it right. It's, <laughs> It looks pretty, but you can't. You, you, you no. And Bill Wilson, does. he spends, been spends, uh, I think somebody counted it not long ago. I read some places 123 places in the first 88 pages. It talks about working with others. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, you know, in those first days of convalescence, nothing will so much ensure his immunity from drink as intensive work with others. You know, bottom page 129. In those first days of convalescence, guys, I'm. I tried to. I ate two bottles of pills trying to commit suicide in in, in 87 because I felt completely useless. Hmm. And, and, and now these people are telling me to come in and just sit. And, you know, in 87, these guys got me and they says, no, Chris, come on, we need you over here. You know, they got me on the cleanup committee and they, they showed me how to make coffee and they, they just got me active, you know, get busy. It's like, Anyway, you don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict to understand the principle. You're sitting in the house watching TV and you're feeling kind of blue, and you get up and wash the dishes, and oh my God, you just feel better. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's what we're. so, You get up and do something constructive, and do them automatic. But with us, it's life and death. Right. You know. Right. And, yeah. and Lord knows we need we need all hands on deck in that trench these days because I mean because of this wonderful little little um, coronavirus crud. <laughs> We, uh, we, uh, we're getting a bunch of folks in, Got a lot of, a lot of folks hurting out there Yeah. and, um, yep. uh, going to have all hands on deck.
0: Yep. And I, so if, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody right now at home, like, you know, Chris, your 1987 self, right. You ended up, you know, having an attempt on your life and, and, um, you're, you're kind of miserable. There's a lot of people out there like that. And, and what you guys are telling me is oh in your experience there's a great way to present the information so if i'm sitting at home and i'm just absolutely miserable and i'm i'm hearing a podcast like this or i'm reading somewhere like you have to go to meetings i find it from an outsider's perspective fairly overwhelming to know exactly what to do so how would you guide somebody you know right now that that's sitting at home that's hearing this and it all makes sense and okay i need to be presented the right way but I also hear that I should go to a meeting. I've tried meetings before. Like I, you know, in the overwhelmed mind of someone trying to get better right now um, at home, how would you guide someone on like, what should you do right now?
2: Ah, what a great question. Talk to a lot of people about just pushing the envelope a little bit. Look for literature-based meetings is one thing. You won't find very many of them. You'll find lots of, you know, you know open discussion meetings just to go talk about everything else out of the sun, but you know there's big book meetings and 12 and 12 meetings. a lot of these meetings based in that list will, will usually stay a little more focused in, on the solution. And uh, that's where all our, the, the big book folks hang out and, and uh, you know it, it would be a shock, you know and we also you know we provide our emails and, and numbers on there so folks can get in touch there was a day ages and ages ago I talked to this lady. Uh, she's. And I don't want to use her name. Uh, she she's passed away a long time ago. But she used to be an uh, intergroup rep in a big old city here here in Texas. And she was an absolute sweetheart. And we a lot of us hang around. This was in the early '90s, and a lot of us hung around her. And uh, she just you know when we go to Dallas to speak and stuff, we just we always get the chance to visit with her. But she said there was a period of time in there, and uh, that that just that nobody did the steps. Nobody talked about the work. Uh, treatment centers were cranking them out. This is out 1971 after the Jews Act came out, and we had treatment centers opening on every corner. And at a certain point, guy our sponsorship, went and says, we started focusing on 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 the sobriety rather than recovery.
0: So mm. we're talking
2: we're, we're talking about just adding up some time instead of let's get well and happy and go start some businesses and get excited about stuff and you know let's mm. let's be happy and and we kind of got off the page a little bit we had so many people coming into the rooms we didn't have necessarily the people of, around that to, to help them get well and uh a great article called the dilemma of no faith a lot of us see that there were a lot of people coming in but they weren't getting they weren't staying they were they were leaving and it, you know he makes a clear point that perhaps they weren't getting the kind of sponsorship that he got that mm-hmm. other people got in the early days of 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 our fellowships so I, you know, Bill, you know, the AA gave permission to, I think, dang, close to 300 other 12 step fellowships out there now. Alcoholics Anonymous, in their absolute generosity, gave them permission to use the steps and the traditions in their fellowships because, guys, because it works. I mean, proof positive. Uh, but again, you've got a lot of well meaning people that want to slow people down and, and kind of water it down. And uh, it works great for the little. Maybe the little disco drunks that snuck in the door that aren't even real alcoholics, but for the real man that's dying of this fatal person, um, they need the they need the real medicine. They need the full dose, and uh, and that's what the twelve steps will do if you work them quick. In the early days, of of those guys took longer than a, maybe a few weeks to do the steps. They're working on the and helping others within a few days. Um, Bill Wilson's in town's hospital on his ninth day of detox. Uh, making amends letters from the hospital, hmm. and yet we've got well-meaning people out there telling people, just like Chris was talking about, you know, you know, maybe in a year you can do this. It's just, it's nuts.
0: Yeah, and then so the literature based meetings. Yeah. If sorry, real quick, Chris, the lit- literature based mm-hmm. meetings. Does that then, I mean, so if I today decide to seek one of those and I go and I find a literature-based meeting, will that then lead me maybe to people who could continue to help me further from there? Because if I think about that from, you know, in layman's terms, I think, okay, I'm going to go to this meeting and then what, right? Just, you know, you guys live and breathe this every day, but then what, right? Is is that going to open doors for me to be able to find more support?
2: Yes, without question. That's where the big book thumpers are hanging out, folks. That's where the lit- you're, if they're studying the literature, they know about working with others. They're in there looking for people to work with. They, it, it, it seems like you know would be obvious. Um, Bill Wilson was coming out of six months sober. Business deal goes bad. He's in Akron, you know, in the Mayflower Hotel. Sometimes we got to just talk about it. if you've ever never had a ch- ever get a, get a chance to go to the Mayflower Hotel in Akron. you'd I mean, What else? A- the coolest place just to get to see it for Bill Wilson. But he, he's walking out of the elevator, the story goes, and he talks about it. He says, I realized that I needed another alcoholic as much as that alcoholic could ever need me. He understood yep. that this whole thing was about working with another another person in trouble. And by helping him, then you get to be helped. It, the spiritual principle is that you put some good stuff out, you're going to get some good stuff back, I suppose. But the bottom line is he stays over. That meeting right there, he, he ended up with Dr. Bob, which was, you know, AA number two. And um, and the rest is history, two and then three and then four. and then, I mean, good heavens. This this was the whole idea behind it. And, uh, you know, we're not going to do it perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but then go. It takes a village sometimes. And, and, uh, but that's how you learn to do it you, you, you do it.
1: Yep. And it's, <laughs> ki- it's kind of interesting when, when you are doing it, because I've gone through, you know, I've been, I've been sober, I got sober in 2011. And like, okay, you know, nine and a half, close to 10 years now um, of, of doing this, the moments where I'm not actively seeking other people to help and, and sponsor and, and trying to go to, you know, speak to anybody that I could potentially help at detoxes or whatnot. For some reason, it's 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 the God idea where when you help other people, you're leaving room for God to come in. A lot of people say, well, you want to sponsor people so you can remember where you came from when you sat down with them. Listen, like in my experience, like, yeah, it kind of remind I guess, I guess it could remind me of what it was like. But what it does for me is it allows room for God to enter into into my life because i'm 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 doing god's work and that's being living an altruistic lifestyle where i'm not just thinking about myself and one of the first things that you should learn when you come into this deal after you're qualified as a real alcoholic or, or real drug addict is the root of my problems is the fact that i can't get out of my my selfish mind in my selfish ways and a lot of what helping other people does is it allows us and gives us an opportunity to actually put faith into works and force that selfishness out by being useful to other people and life becomes more life just becomes more clear and when and when i stop doing it out of my own experience i don't know what why other than the fact that i'm kind of pushing my responsibilities as a human being to live selfless aside. it just when I'm not doing it, life just becomes confusing and, and I get lost and I get in fear. And then all of a sudden those defects of character that, that I had when, when I came in here start to pop up again. And, and I start to act out in ways that I don't want to act out in. And, and, you know, we could talk about that for hours, but the bottom line is if you're, if you're at home listening and and, and are uh, don't know what direction to take it, And also like if you were like me and you're like, I need to find somebody who will take me through the work quickly but I can't find anyone, just like Chris said, like going to those literature-based meetings is, is great. And also like when, when in meetings, when people are saying, when they say, hey, you know, raise your hand if you're willing to sponsor, look for the people that are like jumping out of their chair, raising their hand. And, and when you talk to them, <laughs> be like, hey, have you had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps? And if they say yes, just be like, all right, cool. Can we get through this work quickly? If I if I'm willing to work, and if they say yes, be like, all right, let's roll. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You know,
2: absolutely, absolutely. You you got to be proactive with yourself. There's a lot of well-meaning people again that just want to, you know, have somebody to visit with. I hear people all the time. You know, well, I'm going go to go get. I've got a sponsor, and we go to lunch every week and and talk about our. Okay, but you know, that's not what this is about. This is about getting through the work as quick as I can. Solid ground, okay, so that I can have this thing called a spiritual experience. So I can go continue to help, guys. Fear absolutely cannot keep me sober. You know, it yep. me, me, it it tells me that I will not remember the consequences of even a week or a month ago. And so anybody who thinks that I'm sober 33 years because I continue to remember that I ate out of a dumpster in Houston, Texas, is missing what we're talking about. I don't think about yep. that ever. You know, I, you know what I think about is, is how cool my life is, not having to struggle like I watch so many people do. And uh, I, uh, I, I'm sitting in my meeting over here at the outpost the the other night, and watching one of the little guys I sponsor. And he, he's uh, just now six six months over. but he's what a little sweetheart. And he's watching, he's watching one of these little newcomers uh, in there like a like a, a you know watches a beetle. You know, he's he's. he's He's just right on him, you know, and that little guy raises his hand, looking for a little sponsor. And I watched my guy get up and w- push people out of the way to get to that guy. You know? <laughs> That's so great. He's like, like, this is mine, you know, and he grabbed <laughs> hold of his little guys. And I looked at him after the meeting and gave him a little high, high five sign, you know, and he says, I got me one. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind
1: of, it's kind of. Jackie, it's funny real quick. It's funny. Cause like I just moved to Fort Worth recently and I don't have any sponsees out here and I've sponsored some people, you know, like in different states around the country or whatever. And when I got here, I was like, I wanted to make it a point to find as many people to help as quickly as possible to get plugged in and make sure that I'm, I'm in the loop. Cause last time when I moved from Texas to Raleigh, it took me a little while to get plugged in and I, and I didn't get out there and go find people. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, based on experience, I knew that I needed to get out there and do it. And the first, first four meetings I went to, each meeting had one person in there that that picked up a newcomer chip and, and needed help or whatever. And I remember the entire meeting, I was like, "I need to go talk to that person. I need to go talk <laughs> to that person." And 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 I felt like I felt like that kid that Chris is talking about, where I I was like jumping out of my seat as soon as the, the end of the meeting occurred. I ran up to them. Um, Two of them are are through the work now. And then then another one, I remember another guy went up to him after the meeting. And I remember being like, do not go, you know, I I want this one, (laughs) you know, it's kind of funny. And uh, I remember the guy guy that went up to him to talk to him started telling him, you know, he, 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 I, I hope this isn't too opinionated or, or, well, I don't really care actually, but he was like, all right, this is what you need to do to, to get through the next couple of days. You need to go home. You need to get a jug of orange juice. You need to put honey in it and you need to drink that every night before you go to bed. And I remember sitting there watching the conversation occur and the kid was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And then the guy was like, great. So see you tomorrow night at the meeting. And I remember going, are we not going to tell this kid like what what his actual problem is and bring him through the work? And, you know, <laughs> like it, oh. But. That's just kind of what is out there, Jackie, is is yeah, like there yeah. could be someone there could be someone drowning, coming in, coming into the rooms and coming in for help, having no idea and drowning, wondering what they need to do to get better. And, you know, there will be people that tell them, like, you need to make sure you go make sure you have enough sugar to get through the next couple of days and just mm. just keep coming back is what a lot of people say. Just right. keep coming back and you'll see a miracle happen. and. You know, from from what I've experienced is like I did keep coming back when I first got here and I never experienced any freedom uh, um, until I got through the work and started started actually helping another person. And and I desperately want to give that to as many people as I possibly can, because it's scary because I almost died in, in, in the rooms. I almost yeah. died when I was when, when I was trying to stay sober, you know, Well,
0: and, you know, it's You, it's so great to hear that, you know, almost 10 years later, you're still, you still have that fire to want to help people because you know that that's what keeps you present. And you've learned that like that, that's what helps you, you know, stay in, in where you in line with where you need to be. I think, you know, the honey and and orange juice story maybe worked for that guy. And, and so, but, but to me, what I'm learning is coming back, there's something to be said about coming back, but there's a, a missing step from what I gather on, like, it has to take one step beyond that. Right. It's not, it's not about coming back. It's about being presented the info the right way. And then you will naturally come back to, to continue the right way. Correct.
2: Yeah. Yep. You're heading in exactly, exactly the direction. That's exactly where we're, uh, you know, Harry (laughs) T. Bill Wilson's shrink for years and, and, uh, and there's a compilation of his writings you can get. Hazleton's got it. it just, I mean, this guy was brilliant. He was really smart. And I'm going to paraphrase a little line. I don't have it in front of me to read. But it it, you're, you can hit a thousand bottoms. But unless you surrender at one of those bottoms, you're just going to keep hitting bottoms. So the surrender won't come listening to you to, Chris talking about doing something crazy out there drinking. I go, I could sit there and nod my head and go, oh, that's fine. Okay. And I'm in my back of my head, I'm thinking, boy, that guy's a loser. I would never do that. You know, and it's, again, I don't believe that stuff's ever going to happen to me. My bottom was not my story. Folks, mm-hmm. my bottom was the understanding of the first step, the physical craving and the mental obsession. And, and those guys, listen, they didn't sit me down that night and say, Chris, we're going to start at the title page of the book and start reading, you know, I'd have died they just i'm not knocking that folks it's really good especially if you've been sober a while get somebody to read the book with you that's that's great they they cherry picked it they opened the page and they, and they showed you the pages where it talks about the physical craving and then the little page on 24 where it lost the power of choice and drink and that talked about the insanity of that first drink and i they had me pegged. i knew what was wrong with me at that point i didn't have all these other psychiatric disorders i was i was a garden variety textbook drunk i was an alcoholic, and. Um, mm-hmm thank God if you've got a fatal, fatal disease, let's, you know, at least let's get one that you cover for. They spent a little time after the meeting guys, it was like seven o'clock. They were, you know, should have been home with their families eating dinner, but they stayed after they talked to this little skinny one eye guy. You know, we, we were there 20, 30 minutes, maybe didn't take long, but it changed my life. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's so yeah. great. And you, you pay it forward uh, to the max now. So you are, you're currently at La Hacienda, correct?
2: I am correct yes i awesome. i uh, I left in two thousand and ten and and uh, worked through another great little place down on the coast and and uh, uh ended up uh coming back a couple of years ago to to it's close to my home and wanted to get back here to the hills and and i had a a real good opportunity to do that and i I'm so tickled to be back on that campus
0: that's so exciting and i so I would love to know from you i mean you've helped you've what thirty three years you said recovered and um you've helped. Lord knows how many people, right? Um, what, what's what been your biggest challenge in helping people to try to recover? Like, I, I mean, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, the ins and outs of recovery and Chris's experience and so many experiences for those in the podcast. But what do you find is the biggest challenge as you see people come in, you know, day in, day out?
2: It's sometimes like swimming upstream. There's, there's a lot of well-meaning people trying to help a lot of folks. Uh, but they, they kind of maybe they don't understand alcoholism and drug addiction and and you know a lot of like I said well-meaning people trying to put their little two cents in, but it has a tendency to dilute the message if, if they're not not careful. Um, everybody's always looking for the next hot thing that's going to fix us. And um, who knew that 85 years ago these old guys would get together to put come up with a program that uh, it's a little it's a little frustrating. You can get them and you get them pointed in the right direction on campus. Uh, in, in treatment and watch them just change right before your eyes, and then they go home and end up in a group where everybody pulls them down again. This is not a race. Yes, it is a race. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there's a period of time when that little window will stay open, and uh, and then it's going to close, and the obsession's going to come back. And um there's some great stories in, in the in the big book guide to alcoholism. There's five stories in there. All of those stories are are, are With the exception of the Jaywalker story, they're all based on true people, and uh, then they're all written about high-bottom drunks. They're not written about people living on the street. The people that we can relate to, just just every average American, and uh, or or whoever. And uh, oh my gosh, if you read those stories, you can you can get a really clear understanding, and I think identify with what what this insanity actually looks like. You know, I'm I'm crazy with the stories in the back sometimes because they us from from the 164 of the, the basic text but uh but those stories in the front there are, are spectacular Jim the car salesman and Fred the businessman is my all-time favorite you know these are guys that didn't have any reason in the world to drink and drank yep and it's classic and, and I've talked to a lot of family members that have, that have read it and all of a sudden the lights came on and they and they had the uh, what we were what we were trying to talk about Everybody talks about alcoholism as a disease. You know, most people, I mean, and it's just verbiage, very few people actually believe that. They still believe it's a behavioral problem. Well, why is Chris drinking? Well, because it's a disease. I don't have to have a reason to drink. Right. That's and, and, yep. yeah, and everybody wants. To, I mean, my mom until the day she died continued to want to talk, have the conversation. What was it that made you an alcoholic? You know <laughs> what like, happened?
1: You
2: know, yeah, you <laughs> know, bless her heart. She just she wanted to pinpoint something that she did or that somebody else did to 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 that caused me to be an alcoholic. You know, my father was an alcoholic, genetically predisposed. You know, my twin brother and I, y'all know my, my twin brother and mine, and we we got the bullet. I got two sisters that didn't. And, yep. um but, but we're the ones that got the, got the, the, uh, the disease. So yeah, once we can start looking at that for what it is, we can get, like, let's go get well. Hell.
0: Right. And so actually talk a little bit more about Myers. I mean, it, what was that? What is that like, I guess, having a, a brother that's gone through this with you and did your stories overlap pretty evenly or were you kind of, um, on different timelines as far as your own, uh, your recoveries?
2: <laughs> a little bit, a little bit different. He, I was, Okay. Mars was a business owner. He owned a big book bindery up in in the DFW area, and uh, I worked for him for the last, I you know, a whole bunch of years because I couldn't cook anymore. I was too sick, and uh, thank God for family. He let me work in his in his bindery. I was talentless at the job, but it, but he you know him and his wife you know allowed me to be there, and and thank God. And uh, but uh, but I was what would he consider the, the bad drunk. I would be the one that was getting in trouble occasionally. Mars wasn't doing that. I, it was the go-to guy. Mars used to say, "If I ever get as bad as you, I'll quit." And mm-hmm. two months, two months after I quit, um, he uh, he quit and flew uh, one night, drunk and mad and cranky. And and uh, I told him, "I just looked I'll never forget sitting out by his house up in North Texas." And I said, well, "You know, you don't really don't have to do this ever again." And um, and I and I left. I went home. And uh, yeah. he called me. He never looked back. Uh-huh. just he just. He got sober and able uh, to have somebody in the family. He's, uh, he, he's texting me while we're talking. Good guys. He's asking if I'm going to the meeting tonight. I mean, that's yeah, that's his family. It's just it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, um, I'm so glad that you're both recovered and, and you had each other essentially to to kind of continue forward with. You know,
2: most of the identical twins that I've ever met, if one's an alcoholic, the other one is too.
0: Yeah, really. I, I'm sure
2: there's some. I'm sure there are some exceptions. You know, we 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 see them see them out there pretty often
0: interesting uh, um, what um but it's nice to have that yeah oh i bet i bet i it that that's that's super interesting to me and you know because you've been in the industry for so long now um what have you seen have you seen anything change over time in the recovery world and do you think you know we can what do you think we can do to be better i mean we're we're trying to we're doing this podcast for a reason and that's just to bring more awareness but i mean Beyond that, like, what what have you seen changed? What are you excited about, and and what do you think we can do to be better in you know in helping more people?
2: It's a great question. Uh, it it's uh, it has changed. The industry has changed. The uh, our fellowship has changed. I'll tell you real quick on the first thing. The fellowship has changed a lot, folks. I got to tell you, you know, fifteen years ago, you'd do a workshop and you'd be up there talking about the stats and and uh, you know. Just introduce yourself as a recovered alcoholic, and you know people would actually get up and leave the room. You know, yeah. they, people would be mad, you know, because you're talking about it. Just, it was just an environment very open-minded about it in lots of places of the world, and and because a lot of people got out, and, and I've got a lineage that's been carrying that message for a billion years, and and uh, just a lot more folks getting out there. the under their yeah. message of hope that uh, if we work step we're going to change we're seeing low pockets little big book thumpers and we're seeing a lot in in, in the other fellowships I, I i also am associated with drug addicts anonymous and uh it's a little little fine little fellowship that uses yep. the 12 steps the same, but just just all excited little 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 guys it's all about working the steps and and um, your chances of finding a group of laddered up little big book folks is, are really good today uh, yep. uh, because yep. a lot of people have been out there and and uh Pushing the envelope a little bit. The industry itself has changed a lot. A lot of people have done the pushback from the twelve steps. Uh, a lot of people don't like. They want to talk about God. There's lots of secular. You know, there's a lot of you know, other fellowships out there if you want to not deal with the spiritual experience business of this and and um, so you know it's 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 been a bit diluted out there in 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 certain areas. I don't know medically uh, medically assisted treatment is a big push now with the with the medications and. Uh, and uh, they absolutely have their place uh, out there. There are some folks that drastically need that, that uh, the medications and there's there's some that don't. And so I think we're finally weaving our way through there to get to a happy medium with all of that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's different for lots of people. And so the combination of a lot of that sometimes will, will help, but there's some real clear message out there too. We went through a period in the industry where there's a lot of shenanigans going on and, and uh, you know, you get money involved; it's just uh, it can turn into a disaster, and uh, yeah. you know a lot of that stuff happened in in, in in recent years. And and uh, the industry's managed to clean up a lot of that crap. You don't see near as much of that as you used to. So
0: yeah, that's you know, great. I'm
2: absolutely ab- absolutely optimistic about the opportunities. Truly,
0: that's great. I, I have a silly question because I've always wondered this, and and this might be super ignorant of me or, or kind of dumb, but um, when you see like people in the spotlight that, you know, have all the money in the world that, you know, so-and-so, you know, ships off to rehab and, you know, they're in treatment and all that. I mean, are there facilities out there um, for, you know, like, I guess, bigger name celebrities and things that are, that are, I mean, I guess when you hear people going to those, those big treatment centers, are those usually reputable places? And you guys might not know the answer to that. I've just always kind of, that's just me thinking out loud. I've always wondered like, Oh, where, where did they go? And, and, you know, you hear people reserving full facilities for themselves and that, I mean, is that is a lot of that money driven and kind of dangerous or, or do you think, you know, some of them end up at reputable spots?
2: And Chris may, he can add to that. He's been around too in the deal. I, I, uh, Yes, I I mean, there's some really reputable places out there. Uh, There's some special needs with people. uh, uh, People with money have different kinds of problems than other people. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, women have a special, there's there's certain things that, that, that young adults you know, older adults. There's a, a beautiful facility that I used to be associated with over in Florida, you know, that took care of, but they had an older adult program, which is mm-hmm. we're is such a need for that. You know, a lot of these baby boomers are reaching uh, reaching our you know, 60s and 70s. And now, all of a sudden the wheels are coming off and they need specialized treatment. There's yep. lots of other things going on besides just the alcoholism that they need to deal with and, uh, um, you know, cognitive stuff, mobility stuff to deal with. So, I mean... I'm all for all the different facilities out there. At the end of the day though, folks, at the end of the day, they're gonna have to do the work. At the end of the day, they're still gonna have to find a cool little fellowship to go to and they're gonna have to finish these the, the little 12 steps and uh, they're they're guaranteed to have that spiritual experience. And yeah. uh, it, it, yeah. they get active in service work and, and uh, their lives are gonna change. So I know lots and lots and lots of really wealthy people that never could stay sober, Everybody wanted to bring the money, it had nothing to do with the money. It had to do with the fact that they didn't do the things that we ask them to do. Yep. Yep.
1: Every yep. single time. That's that's what yeah. it comes down to.
2: Yeah. Y'all you need to get yeah, this phrase, but you don't understand. My case is different. <laughs> <laughs> that kills more alcoholics and addicts than anything else.
0: <laughs> what um so Chris, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap up here in just a minute, but um what what advice do you have to people listening there's a lot of family members there's a lot of people that are just unsure out there kind of everybody in every scenario is listening but um you've you've done this a long time um what do you know for sure that you would pass along as advice to those struggling you know it it,
2: it may sound a little weak uh, but I'm, don't give up and, and and be proactive i watch a lot of people they come to treatment a couple of times and and for whatever reason there's some dishonesty in their life or they just haven't done the work they for every reason they they've got an excuse and so you know they haven't done it so they keep getting sick but then they decide well i don't need treatment anymore it didn't work so they just stay out there that's how we end up losing them you know and so <clears throat> if you find out that in 1987 the money was gone for me i had no insurance to that it would work and just walk back into an, uh, a 12-step meeting and and get sober i mean i it was tough i detoxed in the rooms uh, and that was uh it was certainly not you know I, that's what i had to do and i have watched a lot of people have to do that but, but regardless you know if you can do that then then do it if you can't you know you've got to reach out for the resources there's lots of folks out there. state funded facilities there's, there's there's places sometimes just uh, extended uh care places you know you can get in the happy house kind of a cement scenario with you know sobriety you know around you a safe environment to, to be in. It doesn't have to be a really fancy place to be effective, for heaven's sakes. Um, but you gotta be safe. you got to be a lot of times as the illness continues to progress, you get to a place where you must be separated from the chemical. Mm. You know, it's just it's just put the plug in the jug. Some people can do that. If the illness hasn't progressed very far, a lot of people can quit. <laughs> It's the same quit. that's the problem, but but medical detox is absolutely coming off opiates uh, is the m- most painful thing you'll do, and um, and benzos. You it's just you, most of the folks are going to need some sort of detox, professional detox to help them with it. But I just encourage them to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's they're not going to wake up one day and just all of a sudden. It's just going to be you're either going to get sober or you're not. And if, if you're struggling, then, then get around some people that can help you. Because like I said, we need you. Come on in.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then what about, what about for family members um, who either are dealing with someone that's struggling or eventually could deal with someone who's struggling? What's your advice after kind of seeing family members through this for a while?
2: The, the same, uh, there's still all of these years later, one of the female alcoholics, the first female alcoholic, they used to call her, I don't know, Marty Mann. Uh, great book written about her too. She was really active in, in the advocacy work in the 60s and 70s, and a spectacular lady from New York. And uh, one of the things that she talked about in one of her one of her uh, uh, an article somebody did on her, she said, "What's the biggest thing stopping people from getting well?" And she said, "Stigma, stigma, stigma." Yes. And it's so frustrating that all of these years later, we're still dealing with stigma.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of
2: family members won't ask questions. They don't want to talk to some people about this because they want to—they like want to keep it like it's a secret. I don't want to, you know, offend him. I don't want to, you know, guys. You, you got to bring it out in the open so we can get well. I mean, this—this this is the nature of the beast. You know, Alamon some of these—these these other twelve-step fellowships for families—they're so good. None of us are going to do this by ourselves. I got to have some people to lean on. That's just the nature of the beast I surround myself with some people that are that are they're gonna help me and that's what the fellowship is about and so I encourage all family members to, to get involved in that kind of stuff to start networking pick up the phone call call some of us that need uh, need some guidance because um, you don't have to do this by yourself I know it's scary as can be um, alone in that house with a raging drunk in the back room I then hmm. they've done that hmm. but you know, if you're, if you're around some other people that have walked through it, because I guarantee you there is a solution, there is a way out. And uh, I've never seen it fail, folks. We're, we're, we're blessed to have the resources that we have today. And uh, we just need to access them.
0: Yep. Well, listen, uh, we'll let you get to your meeting. I know you've got um, a meeting to get to and, and we cannot thank you enough for not only um, joining us today, but just for all the help you're providing to so many people and and to so many people over so many years. Um, uh, personally, I, I appreciate what you mean to Chris's story, um, even before he was able to to find recovery and um, just can't honestly thank you enough for joining.
2: Uh, bless y'all for asking me. Let's do it again soon.
0: Let's do it.
1: We'll get you and Myers on here together at some yes. point, Chris.
2: Oh boy. We could do that. And it's always, guys. Don't, don't hesitate to give my numbers out to anybody. If you come across anybody that needs some help, we'll holler. We can point them in the right direction.
0: Perfect. You, hear it. It you heard it it here first, folks. There's no excuse. There's ways to reach out. So we're here to help. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you for joining. Chris, thank you for joining. <laughs> and
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay guys, have an awesome <laughs> week and we will chat soon appreciate you guys
1: awesome thank you so much Chris talk to you guys soon bye buddy alright see ya